We want to begin this morning talking about a topic, uh, and um, I'm not sure if we'll continue next week or if it'll be through by, by the end. Depends on how far my notes go. Uh, but we're going to be talking this morning about integrity. Uh, we see that word a lot in the book of Proverbs, and we've alluded to it from time to time in our studies concerning uh, being men who are honest, who are truthful, uh, people who mean what we say and say what we mean. And of course, in the business world, uh, the style is not always to be people of integrity, but because of uh, a lot of ulterior motives, uh, you set aside integrity for the sake of profit or for the sake of gaining an advantage of some kind. And so we want to talk this morning about integrity and link it together with truthfulness and honesty and uh, all of these things. Um, it's all interrelated. And I want to try to build this morning sort of a logic or a building um, so that we can base our integrity upon the solidness of the truth of, of God's word and of God's character. First of all, we probably better define it. Um, to define the word integrity, we're basically talking about living life according to uh, God's principles of honesty and truth. Uh, living our lives in, in terms of being honest and true. Uh, being real people. Uh, not giving an impression that we are one thing and underneath there's something else going on that we're not divulging. Uh, there are some people that I like to call veneer people that on the surface you, you get kind of one impression and when you get down beneath uh, the surface it's hollow. Uh, like those doors, you know. I'll never forget the first time I tried to put a, a nail into a, a door that was a veneer, you know, hollow door. I wasn't aware of the fact that doors weren't solid pieces of wood all the way through, and it felt thick, you know, and you hammer the nail, wham, wham, all of a sudden there's air in there. <laughs> it sort of just lies there, and you go, wait a minute, what happened? It isn't out the other side yet. And uh, it's because uh, in those kinds of doors, you have the one panel, and then the other panel, and there's air in the middle. I don't know how much space, but uh, a veneer is something that sort of is a covering on the outside, and then you have, you know, a particle board underneath. Um, so again, it gives the impression of walnut or whatever. <coughs> walnut grain finish, only it's vinyl. Uh, that kind of thing. And God wants us to be men who are not uh, giving an impression of being walnut grain finish on the outside and then made out of particle board underneath. Um, so we want to begin to talk about what integrity is, and it's based upon the very nature or character of God. And it doesn't take a whole lot of thinking to realize that God by being God, is fully trustworthy, fully honest, and is a God of integrity and truth. And we want to look in the Old Testament, first of all, to see this in Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. <coughs> this is uh, the second giving of the law. And um, I believe this is a song that's actually in, in this particular chapter. In verse 4, it's extolling the character of God. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are right. A God of truth and without iniquity, he is just and righteous. He's talking that, that God is... Uh, a God that is a rock, and it could be referring here to Christ, since we have the picture all the way through 
from the book of Exodus as well as in 1 Corinthians 10 of Jesus Christ being the, the rock from which the Israelites drew their, their strength and, and guidance as they went through the wilderness. But it talks about the fact that his work is perfect and that all his ways are righteous and uh, that he's a God of truth. <clears throat> and this is really important in view of the fact that this entire book is the law of God which was given to Israel and it had to be based upon the truth of the character of God or else the entire law was a falsehood. And so it, it just points out that there's, there's purity and truth and honesty and complete total righteousness with, with God. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, God had many names. And um, we find in the New Testament that not only uh, is God a God of truth, but that Jesus Christ one of the titles for uh, the Son of God is truth. Look at John 14, verse 6. Probably a lot of you have this memorized. Um, John 14, <clears throat> verse 6. Jesus had a lot to say about the truth. His enemies considered him to be a liar and controlled by Satan. And we'll see what he says about that later on. But uh, Jesus, the very Son of God, <clears throat> claims to be the truth. John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Again, just to point out here that one of the things that Jesus is, is the truth. And in this context, of course, he's the truth in order to come to know God the Father. Uh, he's the one that is the true way, the true life, and the, the only way to come to know God the Father. Look in John 16, because it also, the uh, Bible also teaches that the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. So what I'm doing is constructing the first little pillar or uh, foundation stone of our building this morning, and that is God is a God of truth, Father, Son, and Spirit. John 16, verse 13. Um, Jesus has been talking to them about uh, his death and what was going to be coming in the future. And he also talked about the Holy Spirit's ministry uh, as a convictor and a convincer of sin and so forth. <clears throat> and he says in verse 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you, you can't handle them right now. And of course, the disciples were under a tremendous amount of distress and questions uh, were coming all the time. A lot of them they asked Jesus and others they did not dare to ask. But verse 13, he talks about the Holy Spirit being a, uh, the spirit of truth. But when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. And I guess the point that I would make here, of course, is that if we're to learn what the truth of God is, we need the Holy Spirit's enlightenment. We need that uh, understanding that the spirit of truth gives. Um, and so he talks here that the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals or gives us the truth of God and guides us into that truth. And it says here that he will not speak on his own behalf, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So the Holy Spirit, in line with who God is, uh, receives from the Son of God, uh, and in our case it's also uh, in terms of enlightening scripture, uh, which he himself wrote, uh, and tells us then what the truth is. So if we want to know what the truth of God is, we need to depend upon the Holy Spirit to show us that truth. And yet, the beauty of it is, the truth of God from the Spirit of God is in line with the Word of God. So what we're doing is we're constructing the first little pillar of the, 
building here, saying that God is a God of truth and a God of integrity, a God of uh, veracity. He's one who can be totally trusted with what he says and what he does. And of course, eventually, we're going to be talking about the fact that if we are to be like him, God wants us to be men who are truthful people. Um, we'll see this uh, in a little while. But if the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth and shows us what the truth is, then what he shows us is from the Word, and the Word also is true. Uh, God has a beautiful way of uh, sort of locking us in. If we know that our Father and, our, and, and the Son of God and the Holy Spirit is true, he also says here that God's Word is true. Uh, John 17, we're in John a lot today, turn over the page a little bit. John 17, verse 17. <clears throat> And the beauty of this is uh, Jesus is praying here to God the Father for his disciples and also for us. And by the way, that's one of Jesus' major ministries right now is to pray for you and for me. When you reach the point of uh, desperation where you can't even pray for yourself, recognize that the Son of God is constantly interceding on your behalf. Hebrews uh, chapter 7 says he ever lives to make intercession for, you, for the saints. Um, he's at the right hand of God the Father praying for you and for me. He's our defense attorney. Um, John 17, verse 17, it says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. To sanctify means he's saying to God the Father, and th this prayer is so great because uh, there are times when we feel very unholy and that we've really failed God. And yet Jesus, before we were ever here, before he died on the cross and so on, prayed and said, Father, make them holy. Set them apart for your sacred purposes. Make them holy by the truth, by your word. And it's the word of God that cleanses us daily from sin and shows us what sin is and helps us to deal with it. Um, in John 15, 3, Jesus says, You are made clean by the word which I have spoken. And if you look at verse 18 right here, um, he says uh, to the Father again, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And we'll see what that means later on. But what he's, what he's saying here is, Father, make them holy by your word, and then send them out. You sent me out, Lord, Father, into the world, and so I send them into the world. But he's not just sending any old person into the world. He's sending people who've been sanctified or made holy by the truth of God's word. And so as we attempt to attract people to the Savior and show them who Jesus Christ is, let's remember that we're to be people who are being made holy by God's Word so that there's something that we can attract them to. So we're sent to be people of truth, people who've been set apart and cleansed by God's Word every day, and people who are, are people of truth. So as we look at this now, uh, based upon the character of God, there's one more... Uh, sort of uh, introductory stone I want to put together here. We've seen the Father and the Son and the Spirit of God are truth and the Word of God is true. A really important question is, where did lying come from? Where did lying and dishonesty and lack of integrity originate? If you got your theology straight, you probably know the answer already. John chapter 8, verse 44. We're still in John. We're in John a lot this morning. John 8, 44. <coughs> Because we're in a battle. You ever feel like you're being pulled apart spiritually? It's because you're a battleground. There are two beings that are vying for your life. 
And the one to whom you yield is the one that has control at any given moment. But lying had its origin not in God, but in Satan. Uh, Jesus here is talking to the Jews who are questioning his uh, credibility, his truthfulness. And he has told previously his disciples that they would uh, know the truth and the truth would set them free. And uh, he says, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. That's in verse 36. And then when you get down to 44, he's talking here to these people that are basically saying, uh, we're children of Abraham, who do you think you are? Uh, and so on. And uh, in verse 44, Jesus uh, very directly tells them where their origin comes from and where their statements to him at this point are coming from. Uh, really confrontive word here. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he is speaking his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. How would you like to be uh, one of those people that he addressed there? And the first thing he, well, not the first, but he's speaking to you all the way through here, and he says, well, you belong to your father, the devil. Exciting counsel there, you know, but nevertheless... Um, they were people who were rejecting the Son of God. Eventually, these were people who took up stones to throw at Jesus, and at the very end of the chapter, Jesus sort of walks away from it all because he claims that before Abraham was, he is. And so they immediately understand he's talking about the fact that he is God, and they don't, you know, they believe he's committing blasphemy. But all the time here, they're trying to link Jesus with Satan. If you look at the verses uh, just after this, they, they're trying to claim that he's demon-possessed. And so Jesus turns it around, basically, and says, well, you are the ones who, have, who are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out his wishes. But the key thing I want to point out here from the verse is that he says that uh, Satan was a murderer from the very beginning. And that's what they wanted to do to Jesus. They wanted to kill the Son of God. And he said to them, you are of your father, the murderer, the liar, Satan. And he doesn't hold to the truth, and he doesn't speak the truth, and he's never spoken the truth. And he says here that Satan's native tongue or native language, or his own basic nature is to be a liar. And he's the father of lies. And if you think back to the fall, which is what all of our sin springs from, and it's why we're born sinners, uh, Satan lied to Eve and tempted her and deceived her to the point where she sinned. And then Adam, knowing full well what he was doing, sinned. But it was because of the lie that Satan uh, gave to Eve. And he basically questioned God's word. And of course, that's one of Satan's basic tactics uh, to get you and I to uh, obey him rather than God is to question the very word of God. And we're in a battle, like I said before. So basically what we've got is this. We have two beings that are vying for our, our allegiance or our love or our affection. And one of them is Satan, who is the god of this world. And he uses our, our old nature, which we're to consider to be dead, to sin. But nevertheless, he uses that. And he uses the media of the world and all of the philosophy of the world and, and all the temptation the world can possibly give in all its very subtle forms. Uh, he uses all of that to attract us through our old nature to do his will. And that leads to sin. 
And then on the other side, you have the Holy Spirit who uses the Word of God to attract us through the new man, which is created after Christ's image, to, to do His will. And it's the one that I say yes to, or the one that you say yes to, that has control at any given moment. And so we need to be immersed in the Word of Truth in order to know what God wants, and then to do what God wants. Now, we don't carry this out perfectly, and obviously, in your own experience, you know, you look at your life and you say, well, sometimes I'm yielding to God, sometimes I'm following what God wants me to do, and obeying the Word, other times I do not follow God's Word. And we need to be honest enough with God and honest enough with ourselves to confess and admit when we've sinned and get on with walking with God. And that's the basic part of 1 John chapter 1, where he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So the most honest thing we can do is to have integrity with God in that sense and admit when we've, when we've botched it. So we've seen that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit represent a God of truth in three persons, that all of God is true and His Word is true, and it's that true Word that makes us holy, and that our battle is really against Satan and his attempts to cause us to sin and to not be people of truth. Um, and he uses our old nature and the world and so on to get us to, you know, move to that point. So what we want to see now is the fact that, first of all, we are to be people of integrity with one another. And I'm primarily going to uh, zero in here on a couple of things. One is uh, our relationship with each other as Christian brothers. And, you know, in terms of the whole family of God, brothers, sisters, uh, all the people of God. Look at Zechariah chapter 8. We'll see what we hit first of all. Zechariah chapter 8. It's almost, if you look at Matthew and go backwards a little taste, you'll find it. <clears throat> Zechariah chapter 8. God wants us to be people who are truthful and, and people of integrity. Chapter 8, verse 16. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16. <coughs> Okay. Speak every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. Of course, in the gate sat the leaders, the ones who made judgments, the ones who meted out the justice of God. And the word here is uh, to speak each one individually truth to his neighbor, uh, to be men of truth as we deal with one another. Uh, those personal relationships that we have with each other. And it can be on a business level or it can be on a friendship level. Um, it's wonderful to know a person who you can always uh, you know, depend upon to be meaning what he says and saying what he means. And of course, uh, again, we don't always make it. There are times when things get bent a little bit in order to accomplish some ulterior motive. And God's the only one that knows the motive of your heart. He's the only one that tries our hearts and knows what, we, what we're thinking and why we do what we do. Um, and sometimes the why of what we do is more important than what we're doing even. Because the thing we do may be all right, but the motive behind it may not be right. But God wants us to speak truth with one another as, as neighbors, as people. Um, it's really, really hard to have a good, deep relationship with someone if you can never be sure that they mean what they say. Uh, when you are involved with someone and uh, they say they make a promise and then don't keep it, for example. Or maybe uh, something has gone wrong in a relationship and you say, uh, 
you know, do you forgive me? I'm sorry, I was wrong, I confess, you know, I, I did this or that. The person says, sure, I forgive you. And then later on, it comes back that they really didn't forgive you, they lied. Um, it gets real difficult then to continue to build that kind of relationship <clears throat> until the other individual turns around and says, you know, when I told you I forgave you, yeah, well, I really didn't. I was just trying to get you off my back because you kept bugging me, asking me if I forgive you or not. Um, and uh, we need to be people who really are uh, speaking truth to one another as neighbors. Um, but then he also says in terms of, of leadership and meeting out the justice of God, um, we're to do it in truth and in peace. Um, and we won't do this this morning, but uh, throughout Scripture, a study I would suggest for you would be to study the the balance of mercy and truth, or faithfulness and truth, uh, that is throughout Scripture. Um, truth is always to be uh, spoken or uh, used with the governing principle of love. E um, Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love, that we would grow up into Christ and become mature. Um, love needs to be sort of what I would say is the other side of the coin of truth. Uh, truth without love is, is cold and heartless and compassionless and emotionless and, and um, it doesn't bring any, any hope uh, a lot of times. But love and truth need to go together. And here it's talking about peace and truth. And your other translations may have other words here that, that are used. Look at Ephesians 4. As long as we talked about it, might as well turn to it. Ephesians 4, verse 25, however. <clears throat> We referred to 15 in passing, but verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4. It says basically the same thing in the New Testament sense um, of the family relationship we have as believers. Ephesians 4.25 <clears throat> Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For... We are all members of one body. Now this is uh, what I like to call, Colossians 3 has this whole business in it too. The put-offs and the put-ons. You know, we always say, oh, you're putting me on. Uh, that's in a bad sense. Putting person on is faking them out. But in this case, it's good put-ons and, and put-offs. Uh, what God's saying here from, um, well, really from verse 20 on, is that uh, we haven't learned to practice evil and sin and, and uh, debauchery from the Lord Jesus, we've learned to uh, gird up our minds, to strengthen our minds according to the new man, and to put off the old patterns of life, the old uh, methods of living and, and style of life we've had. And so he lists a whole bunch here of uh, things to get rid of and things to add. And that's a very basic part of learning to grow up as a Christian, is to put off the sinful evil former patterns of our lives and to put on the new man who's created in the image of Christ. And so the first thing he mentions here in terms of the put-offs is to put off lying or put away lying, uh, falsehood, and to speak truth every man with his neighbor. And that takes an act of the will or a conscious decision. Uh, it's not something, by the, way, by the way, that you decide once for all. Uh, sometimes we get these things confused. Um, and I'm just going to point this out uh, in passing. Sometimes we get these things confused. 
Because uh, to be saved, to be born again, to receive Christ as Savior initially is a once-for-all decision. Uh, we come to the point where we believe that God is real, that He created us, that we've offended Him morally because we're guilty of sin and we've fallen and we know that we're, we're fallen people. And we've offended a holy God. And we come to the knowledge that Christ, His Son, died to pay for our sin and to be that sacrifice. And so at a point of time, we commit our lives to Him and ask Him to forgive our sins and, and we ask Him to take our life and come in and, and be our Savior. That is a once-for-all decision. And the Bible says then that, that we enter into the kingdom of light and we come out of the kingdom of darkness that we're sealed by the Spirit into the day of redemption, that God guarantees that we're born again and the Holy Spirit seals that, that we're placed into or baptized into the body of Christ, that we are to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, and all of that stuff is a once-for-all transaction uh, in terms of our salvation. The, the reckoning unto, unto life and against sin isn't a once-for-all thing. That's a day-by-day. -day. But... Um, the point of it is here, in terms of uh, putting off lying and putting on truth, that's a moment-by-moment -moment kind of, of thing. I don't just decide right here, uh, Wednesday, May 2nd, I'm going to speak truth for the rest of my life, and I'm never going to lie again. Uh, because tomorrow is Thursday, May 3rd, and at 9.30 a.m., I might be tempted to not speak truthfully with my neighbor. And at 9.30 on Thursday, May 3rd, I'm going to have to make a decision about what I'm going to do right there. And the more I develop a consistent pattern of being a truthful person, the more it's going to be a habit to be truthful. And conversely, of course, is the more that we develop a habit of not being truthful, the more easy it is then to, to uh, lie or to not be people of integrity. Um, so... It's this sense of putting off the old man and putting on the new that's extremely crucial here. And it's an act of the will. We do that by choice. Um, and it's something that we need to depend upon the Spirit of God to work out in us, to make us sensitive to. Um, and the reason he says this here is because we're part of a family. We're all part of the body of Christ. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 1.18. This is interesting. And again, it's based upon the character of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The background of this is that he, Paul is writing a second letter to the Corinthian church, and there's a whole group in this church that are discrediting Paul's apostleship. They're basically saying, the guy talks big in print, but when you see him face to face, he's a weenie. And uh, he's not worth listening to, and he looks repulsive. And he hasn't got any courage at all when he's in person. But in his letters, he can write real big because he's not face-to-face -face and nobody's going to punch his lights out. So he really cranks it up in his letters. And Paul points out here in, in the first chapter that I wanted to come and see you, Corinthians, but it was not possible uh, at a certain point. And so uh, some of them were thinking, yeah, well, he says he's going to visit us and then he doesn't visit us and uh, he, he's not even a man who can keep his word. He's not even a man that can keep his promise. And so, you know, he talks about this and, and says that, you know, when I make a promise, I mean to keep it, but God did not allow me to, to come at this point. But in terms of the message that we preach to you, verse 18, he says, uh, But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. He wants them to make sure that they understand that 
even though he didn't get to come to them when he thought he was going to, uh, the message that they believed is true. It's not yes and no. It's not believe one gospel today and then the whole thing changes tomorrow and what you thought you had you don't have anymore and you've got to re re-establish uh, your faith in some new thing. God's promises are true and they're always true. God doesn't change his mind and, and set up a whole uh, different promise than he had before. But the whole yes of God is based upon God's faithfulness. If you look at the next verse, it talks about that Jesus Christ is the, the yes. He's the amen. He's the one that you can rely upon. Look at James chapter 5. James 5, verse uh, 12. He says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear. He's not talking here about cursing or bad words or any of that. He's talking about don't make promises by, by physical items. Uh, he says, Do not swear, not by heaven, nor by earth, nor by anything else. And uh, Jesus also talked about this in Matthew 5. But it carries with it the idea that uh, God does not want us to make a promise and guarantee it by heaven or by earth or by anything. And it's the whole idea of just say yes or no and let your character be the reliable uh, part of the, of the issue here. Um, when you say yes, just say yes. And when you say no, say no. And he's saying here, you know, don't say, um, I'll be there Thursday night by heaven, or I'll be there Thursday night by the earth. And uh, Jesus talks to the Pharisees and scribes and stuff in other places about they would swear by the gold on the altar of the temple and by the, the silver on the altar or whatever. And um, he just says, say yes or no. Yes, I will, or no, I won't. And let your word be enough uh, without having to guarantee it by anything. Let your yes be yes, and let your no be no, or you'll be condemned. And um, you just say yes or no. And there'll be consequences if, if we are double-tongued. One of the qualifications uh, for a deacon is that he not be a person who's double-worded double or double-tongued, not saying one thing and doing another all the time. So even in terms of church leadership, God wants us to be men who are men of integrity, men who say what we mean and mean what we say. Well, let's look at the book of Proverbs. Uh, this is supposed to be a class that deals with the book of Proverbs, so might as well do it. Proverbs 19.1 talks about it. <clears throat> Being men of integrity or truth. Proverbs 19, verse 1. Better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. Um, King James says it's better uh, a poor man who walks in his integrity um, than a person who is perverse and is a fool. Um, again, it's just this comparison idea that it's better to be honest and poor or a man of trustworthy speech and, and a man who keeps his promises, even if you're poor, than it is to be an upside-down mouthed person, perverse person. Look at verse 5. Same kind of idea. Proverbs 19, verse 5. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who pours out lies will not go free. It's just, again, the consequences of being a liar or a false witness uh, are sure to come upon the life of the one that, that lies. 
doesn't mean God can't forgive or anything else. It's just that you may be a forgiven liar whose word isn't trustworthy for a while. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had anybody say this to you. Uh, a lot of times this happens in, in our lives where somebody says, Well, yeah, I forgive you, but I can't trust what you say anymore. Uh, that's the idea behind this, this, this whole thing. <laughs> there are consequences to lying. And in, in the case of court cases or uh, issues where the... the um, person perjures his uh, testimony before court and so on, he won't go free from that, from that sin. Proverbs 6. We've looked at this 80 million times here, but we'll do it again. I mean, I haven't with you, but we have with Paul. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. It's good to look at this list because there's a lot of things in here that we're tempted to do. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are detestable or an abomination to him. 6.16, verse 17. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes or wicked imaginations. And that's all that inside stuff that we sometimes think and never do, but it's wicked imaginations. Usually the thinking eventually comes out in the doing. Feet that are quick and rushing toward evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Uh, Paul has pointed out before that the last one in this series is considered to be the worst uh, in terms of the Hebrew poetry of it. But we have a lot of things here. Have you ever noticed in this list, by the way, how many of them involve parts of the body um, and, and the mouth and so on? Your eyes are proud and your tongue lies. Uh, your hands shed innocent blood. Um, the heart that devises wicked imagination isn't, isn't so much a part of the body, but again, it, the action comes through a lot of times after the, the thoughts have kicked it around for a while. There's your feet that are quick to run into mischief. False witnesses speak lies is the mouth again. And then a man that stirs up dissension among brothers, that's primarily the mouth again. And that's just getting, to, you know, getting in there with, with a whole bunch of people and stirring up strife. And obviously, a person of integrity is not one who is involved in that that whole thing. We should have gone here before, but chapter 19, verse 22. You have to go back to 19 again. Uh, chapter 19, verse 22 of Proverbs. <coughs> what a man desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. Again, same basic idea that it it's better to be poor, not have much in terms of physical possessions and so on, than it is to be a liar. And of course, implied in the idea here is that if you have to be a liar in order to be rich, it's better to be poor. And then the first part of it is that the thing that makes a man desirable is unfailing love. And what a man desires is unfailing love. Uh, we can become attractive by being people who are people of unfailing love. Um, in fact, in terms of uh, integrity, there's a lot that the Word says about being attractive to uh, unbelievers. Um, all of us certainly want to have a witness with the, the unbelieving world. And there's a lot that uh, the Bible has to say about making God's Word attractive. Um, and uh, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11 and 12. 
and we'll see what what God says here. First Peter chapter two verses eleven and twelve. We can actually affect the attitudes of unbelievers by the lifestyle that we live and by the integrity that we show. And we either make the uh, doctrine of God attractive to unbelievers or we turn them off. How many times have you heard people say, oh, I don't know if I want to be a Christian or not. The church is full of hypocrites. Unfortunately, sometimes that's true. <laughs> and it's sad. It's, a, it's not a credit to our, our lives. But sometimes a hypocrite, somebody that wears a mask, somebody that looks to be one thing and is another. And uh, so God wants us to be people who are not people of veneer. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and strangers, or pilgrims and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Verse 12. Live such good lives among the heathen or among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. What he's saying here is that we can make the Word of God, the character of God, attractive by the good lives which we live. Um, the first part of it is, is, of course, to abstain from the things in our former life that war against our soul. And that's the lust and the desire that, that's there. And that's part of our old nature. We are people that, that are like that. But he says, live such good lives among the unbeliever so that they'll, even though they would accuse you of doing wrong, they glorify God by the good deeds that, that you do. And Jesus pointed this out too in terms of being the light of the world, that uh, people around us who see the light shining by the good deeds that we do would give glory to God in heaven for what's done. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. We're talking here about just our, our whole lifestyle of uh, being believers and having the, the witness in the world that we, that we need to have. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent upon anybody. There were uh, people in this church that were uh, not working. They were waiting around for the rapture. And Paul addresses the whole topic of the, the rapture of the church in the next verses here. But uh, he says that we need to make it our ambition to lead a quiet life, uh, to not be always involved in somebody else's business, in somebody else's affairs, MYOB, mind your own business, uh, and to work with our hands. Uh, and it'll make the doctrine about God or the daily life that we live will win the respect of, uh, of the unbeliever, of outsiders. So, as we have been looking at this thing, we're talking basically, first of all, that integrity depends upon the character of God. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all are, uh, all persons of God are truthful and they have integrity. God's Word is truth. And it's what sets us apart and makes us fit then for God's purposes. 
and then we saw that God wants us to speak truth and to be men of integrity with, with one another, but also that we can attract the unbeliever by being people of integrity. I want you to look at one more <clears throat> reference here. Uh, Psalm 119. And you know what? We're going to be through early this morning. If you look at this, I've got a blank page right there. Once we get through with this baby, we're, we're out. So, Psalm 119, verse 29 and 30. And this is something that, uh, that I would pray for my own life and that you can pray for your own life as well. Because <clears throat> we need the, help, the, Lord, the Lord's help in uh, being people of honesty. It's such a temptation to what we call stretch the truth or exaggerate the truth or manipulate in some way. Sometimes we even do it without knowing about it and then later on the Holy Spirit points out to us that we've, we've uh, bent the, the twig or bent the bow in some way. And you know we need to, to watch out for that. And so we need God's help. And I think that this is... If God is the God of truth, if God's the God of integrity... If in all the persons of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, He's true. If His Word is true and, in, and full of honesty. If we're to be men who are truthful and real people, we need to pray about that. We need to have God's help. We need to depend upon the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 29 and 30. And it connects the prayer here of David with the very Word of God. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your law. And there is the unbelievable connection. Do you remember at the very beginning we said Jesus uh, prayed for us and said, set them apart or make them holy, Father, by my word, by your word. And your word is truth. Here David, about a thousand years before Jesus prayed that prayer, <clears throat> said to the Lord, Lord, keep me from deceitful ways. Keep me from being a deceitful person. And be gracious to me through your law, through your word. David here refers, of course, to uh, the law of God. And I imagine at this point he had um, <clears throat> some exposure to the first five books of the Bible. Maybe Joshua, and Judges, maybe the book of Ruth, I don't know. But 1 Samuel was being written while David was writing this probably, first and second Samuel and so on. So there wasn't he didn't have nearly the word of God in the sense of completeness that we do. And so he's saying here, through the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, and all of the the other books I have, whatever he had exposure to and knowledge of and had memorized and hidden in his heart, take that, Father, and make it make it give me uh, integrity. Be gracious to me through your law. Keep me from deceit through your word. Now, we've got the completed scripture. A lot more knowledge or revelation of who God is and what his standards are. And we can pray the same thing. Lord, through your word, be gracious to me. Show me how to be a man of, of integrity. Keep me from deceit. And then there's the conscious choice of the will here. I have chosen the way of truth. And I think that's something we can do. It's a moment-by-moment -moment kind of thing to say, God, I will choose the way of truth. I will choose the way of integrity. I want to be a man who can be relied upon to say what I mean and mean what I say. Nobody has to worry about, well, what did he mean by that? What's the hidden, down, deep meaning? I wonder what he wants underneath. 
What are his motives? Why did he say what he said when he said it that way? Um, nobody has to worry about us being double-minded or double-tongued or uh, being a, a two-faced person. That's Being two-faced is uh, one face too many, let's face it. It's bad news. Um, so he says here, I've chosen the way of truth and I've set my heart on your law. It's the word of God that sets us apart to be truthful men, men of integrity. And that needs to be the prayer that each one of us has uh, before God. Let me just suggest to you uh, that you study more out through the word in terms of being truthful, um, being men of integrity. There's more in Proverbs, in the New Testament, and a lot of other places that deals with the topic. Um, you also might look for examples in the Word of people who showed that they were men of integrity or people who demonstrated they were not. Uh, people who kept their promises and people who did not keep their promises. And again, uh, it's Jesus Christ, it's God the Father, it's the Holy Spirit who is trustworthy and who does always keep His promise. Aren't you glad we've got a God who when He says yes, He means yes, and when He says no, He means no? Wouldn't it be horrible if Jesus said, uh, he who believes on me shall not perish but have eternal life and then turned around and said, I didn't mean what I said there. You can't count on it. See, that's the wonderful part about our faith in Christ is that the Word of God is true and we can depend upon the Word of God when our feelings don't confirm it, when circumstances don't seem to confirm it, when everything crumbles all around us, the Word of God is settled in heaven forever and it's true. And so when God tells me John, you have eternal life because you believed in my son Jesus. I can bank on that because the word is true and it's based upon the truth of God. And if God wants us to be like him, he wants us to be men who are, are truthful, men of integrity. And that's a moment-by-moment -moment commitment. You can't decide it just right now. It needs to be something that happens all the time. And again, sometimes we'll be truthful Sometimes we won't. When we're not, we need to confess that before God and ask Him to give us then the commitment to be men of truth and to depend upon God's Word to cleanse us and set us in the right direction again. And the more we build up a habit of being truthful and reliable, the more we will be uh, depended upon and trusted as being faithful people. And God said it's required of stewards that they be faithful. And that implies trustworthiness, it implies truth, it implies being people of integrity. Okay, let's pray, and uh, that'll finish us off a little early. <coughs> Father, it's so easy for us to not be truthful, because that's the basic slant of our nature. Uh, without even trying, we can be untruthful. Um, we can slant the story. And that's why you said in your word even that any story sounds true until somebody else comes along and sets the record straight. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be men of integrity, men of truth. Thank you that you are a God of truth, that you keep your promises, that when you say yes, you mean yes, and when you say no, you mean no. And that if we've received Christ as Savior and, and received eternal life and forgiveness from sin, that nothing changes that, that you're a God of truth. And our salvation, Lord, rests upon your promise, not upon our performance. Thank you for that truth. Help us, Lord, to be men who speak truth with our neighbor, 
to be family men who uh, speak truth with our wives and our children. Uh, for those that are single in here, Lord, that they would speak truth with, with those that they are with. Lord, we want to be men who are uh, like you in our character. We ask you to develop that in us, Lord. Thank you that your word is truth and that you've set us apart through your word. So we would commit ourselves right now to uh, follow you and follow your word in this. And Lord, when we don't tell the truth, make us sensitive to that. When we bend it, slant it, shade it, color it, help us to be sensitive that we have and, and to right away turn to you and, and admit it and not deceive ourselves. And Lord, if it's involved other people, uh, may we also let them know that we haven't been truthful in what we've said, that we've shaded or slanted our story. Keep us, Lord, from lying to you. You know our hearts through and through. There's no way that we can be dishonest with you. Keep us from prayers that say one thing, but you know our heart and it means something else. So we, we thank you, Lord, uh, for this. We ask you to remind us of it even this day as we're working and for those in school as they're taking classes and all of that. Help us to be mindful of being people of truth. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.